Well, on April 9th, 1945, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, was led to the gallows. He was executed by hanging at the Flossenburg concentration camp by his Nazi SS captors. This was just weeks before the Allies liberated the camp. And his final days were marked by a stark contrast between the brutality of his circumstances and the steadfastness of his faith. You see, throughout his ministry, Bonhoeffer taught the truth of costly grace. The truth that true discipleship involves a willingness to sacrifice daily and suffering for the sake of Christ. And this is the theme of his greatest work entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And the greatest line in this greatest work is simply this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Well, with this work, Bonhoeffer challenged what he called cheap grace. The idea that we can have the salvation of Jesus without having the lordship of Jesus, which he saw as plaguing the church all around him. Well, on his final day, Bonhoeffer faced his execution with a remarkable composure, a deep sense of peace, and witnesses later tell the story that he actually led a little worship service for his fellow prisoners. Then he prayed for his captors, and then he stepped forth to the gallows. And his final words were this. This is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. Well, you see, for Diedrich, his cross-bearing led to his martyrdom. And brothers and sisters, the word that we're confronted with today, they're some of the hardest words in all of Scripture. Some of the hardest words that Jesus ever spoke. And I pray that we all have the spiritual ears to hear and eyes to see the glory of the Lord, His grace for us, that we would rest and receive in Christ yet again to the praise of his glory. So let's hear God's word. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. The living, infallible word of God Almighty to you. Now great crowds accompanied, accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. May God write his holy word upon our hearts and souls for all eternity. Well, as I said, these are hard words spoken by our Savior and Lord, and these words should trouble us. They should rattle us. They should make us stop and prayerfully consider our lives because Jesus is calling to each and every one of us, commanding us to come to him as the supreme end-all, be-all over our lives to follow him, and we must evaluate this. And I think it's so important for us to note the, the context for this verse, these hard words right here, because it comes after hearing the sweet message that we heard last week of Jesus Christ inviting all to the great feast, to the great banquet of grace and life and peace with God through Christ. What a glorious message he's just proclaimed that no sinner can provide this banquet for himself. No sinner can pay for it, but by God's grace, Jesus Christ provides the heavenly banquet of salvation full and free. And then just after these hard words that we see this morning, we have the glorious 15th chapter of Luke. That great chapter of the lost and the found, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son that shows us the heart of God the Father to pursue the lost and save them in Christ. So these glorious truths bookend these hard words here. So why the hard words, Jesus? We have to see verse 25 gives us the insight. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, You see, Jesus is on the road to the cross. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint to go and to save his people. And there's a great flurry of popularity all around him. This is towards the high watermark of his popularity because Jesus is doing amazing things. He's saying amazing things. Nobody preached like the Lord Jesus Christ. And his words came forth and the people were thunderstruck by the message and he was feeding and healing and raising the dead. There's a flurry of acti activity. But you see, Jesus knows the heart. He knows the mind of every human being. And he knew that so many were nominal believers. They were there merely out of curiosity's sake. They wanted the trappings of Jesus without the Jesus and so he turns and declares these hardest of words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, he can't be my disciple. What in the world is he saying? Well, Jesus is not following the program of church growth, of how to win friends and and influence people. He is speaking hard words. And we need to once again be stopped in our tracks and hear the good news that, that salvation is by grace alone through the person and work of Christ alone. No human being can merit salvation. It's only a gift. A gift we receive through the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit to receive Christ, to have a new heart. 
to have a new mind, to have new eyes, to see our sin, to see our need, to see the glory of Christ, our Savior, that indeed he's the only one that can bring us to the banquet of God's grace. But you see, we need to hear this. Whereas the gift of salvation is free, the living out of that gift will cost the true disciple of Christ everything. Everything. Our hearts, our life, our love, our service poured out to the Savior day by day. Not to merit salvation but because of thankfulness of heart and life. So Jesus has this multitude, these crowds all around him. They're loving the miracles. They're loving the free food. They're loving the message. And so he speaks this hard word to them. Who is it that can be my disciple? He's very explicit. The things that a true disciple will do and be about along the pilgrim path. So that brings us to our first main point this morning. There's an outline in your bulletin. Jesus confronts us with the radical nature of true discipleship that redefines all relationships. That's what he declares in verse 26. You know, it's so easy in this fallen world for us to water down the gospel message. I mean, we often hear things like, just come as you are. And of course, that's true, but it doesn't end there. You come as you are in your brokenness to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he never leaves you where you are. We must heed the call to be transformed as we experience salvation. We must understand that the Lord, in that most precious relationship that we have, is preeminent over all things. He's the most important relationship because he is the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the king of our lives. And so these hard words teach us something very specific. Hear them again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, what are these words? What's he doing? Is Jesus calling us to sin? Of course not. This isn't about literal hatred, but rather prioritizing our love for Christ above all else. He is using extreme hyperbole to drive home a spiritual truth that is most important. You know, Jesus used hyperbole a lot, didn't he? Jesus is not calling us here to violate the fifth commandment. He's not calling us here to violate the sixth commandment. We are called and commanded to love our Father and mother, if you hate them, you're violating the commandment. If you hate your life and you seek to destroy it, you are violating the commandment. Again, he's using hyperbole to drive home a spiritual truth. Jesus has said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Is he literally calling us to blind ourselves? Of course not. You can be completely blind and still sinning in the heart. But you see, he's driving home a spiritual truth. He's using this extreme hyperbole to show us just how serious sin is. Gouge out your eye. That's how serious sin is. You must take it serious. And here he's showing us how serious our relationship with him is. Driving home the spiritual truth. He is teaching us something amazing. 
You see, in your love and your devotion shown to him, it must be of such a quality, such a characteristic that all your other loves pale in comparison to your love for Christ. And he begins with familial love. You know, we hear often all the time, you know, family's everything. Blood's thicker than water. I love my family. And Jesus is saying, your love for me must be so much greater than kith and kin. And then he moves on to, to chosen love. You know, marriage, the mystery of one man, one woman in love together physically, spiritually that produces children. And he says, your love for me and the joys and the wonder and the mystery of union with Christ must be so much greater than even that romantic love. And then he ends with the Love of self. You must love me so much more than you love yourself compared to that love. I'm your Savior. I'm your Lord. I'm your King. I'm your Redeemer. You see, Jesus is the jealous Savior God. You know, that's one of the names of God, El Canaan, the jealous God. He is jealous, righteous jealous, holy jealousy for his relationship with you and your relationship with him. These are strong words. The parallel passage in Matthew 10, 37 declares this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We must understand the deep meaning. We've already been commanded to, to love our enemies. And the Lord Jesus Christ He strikes this into our hearts to show us this glorious qualitative comparison how great our love for him must be it must be supreme over all of our loves total commitment total devotion to him the absolute supremacy of Christ in all things this is what he's telling us because Jesus is ultimately the dividing line of all of history and between peoples and families you know, in no way is he saying, if you do these things, you'll be saved. No, no, no. But he's saying, if you have experienced the grace of Almighty God and the gift that I am eclipsing your heart and your life, you've got a new heart, a new spirit, new desires, new ears to hear. And you know, I'm walking all the way that long road to Jerusalem to the cross to pay your sin debt, to clothe you in righteousness. If you know this, then you know he must be first place in your life, the most important relationship. And this will be costly. It will bring pain. It will bring rejection. It will bring hostility and loss. It could even mean the loss of family, of friends, of jobs, and in the case of Bonhoeffer, even your life. So let's put this into practice. You're hearing these words. You're thinking about your own life. You heard the call to Christ. His grace was shed upon you and you raised up with a holy hallelujah and you began to tell people. And horrifyingly enough, you shared that with even family members and they came back with a different word than you expected. You came with joy and they came back with, you fool, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. Don't be carried away by superstition. How many relationships, even the closest ones of blood relatives and spouses, 
have experienced this because of Christ and the preeminence of Christ over all. You know, when a Muslim or a Jew comes to the Lord Jesus Christ for life and salvation, almost 100% of the time they lose their family. They're rejected. I ask you, have you lost family? Have you lost friends because of your love for Christ, that it's preeminent in your life? You see, for God so loved the world that he sent his son to love us and to save us. We've heard that already today. Hallelujah. And he did that so that we can love something more than ourselves, and that's costly and powerful. And this is the point we can't miss. If Jesus is preeminent over your life, the greatest love, and you've experienced his love and his love is filling you, then and only then can you rightly love your spouse and your family and your children and those around you can happen when he makes you a new creature in his love. Well, that brings us to the next hard word, our second point. Jesus challenges us to consider the sacrificial cost of true discipleship manifested in a life of cross-bearing. He challenges us. Count the cost. Verse 27, And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes another absolute statement of who is a true disciple. They will bear their cross and come after the Lord day by day. And you know, this is the second time Jesus has spoken about the cross in Luke. Here, specifically, our cross. The first time in chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Again, these words are shocking. They, they rattle us. They shock us. And the, the cost is too much to bear for those looking at Jesus with only temporal faith. You see, you can't receive this word. You can't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow the Lord unless you have living faith. Because you see, temporal faith is only concerned about temporal things and can't see past the cost to the eternal glory that Christ offers. You see, the flesh will not bear the cross and follow Christ in this life. But disciples must be cross-bearers. So what does that mean? To deny yourself, to bear your cross, to follow Jesus each and every day of your life. Well, it, it means something that is both internal and external in its reality. You see, those who have had Christ birthed in their hearts and life, they come alive to the glory of the message, the forgiveness, the life, and the peace Internally, they begin to do this day by day where they wage the good warfare of denying self and taking up the cross. They battle in their minds and in their hearts and in their souls to put away the old man with his lusts that we read about in Galatians. The temptations, those things that would take us away from Christ. And we battle to put on the Lord to set our hearts and our thoughts on things above where he's seated, even when nobody is looking. And you see, when you are about that internally, then you will be that same man or woman 
who then externally, by the word of God and the spirit of God, must proclaim before the watching world, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is the only way, the truth, and the life of salvation. We'll be held captive by that. So that bearing the cross, denying self, will manifest itself in words spoken specifically and actions consequentially. And that's costly, brothers and sisters. You see, because Jesus identified with us and our brokenness and our sin on the cross, we have to identify with him in our witness. And we experience the, the shame and the pain of the world hating us. We do it because Christ bore the cross for us publicly. And we do it through a life of faith and repentance, of believing yet again and confessing yet again and trusting yet again and crying out to the Lord yet again in prayer to be filled up on God's promises and to bear the cross. You know, I know that many of you are familiar with the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, beautiful young woman. One summer, as a teen, she dove into the, the lake and she broke her neck. She was paralyzed from that day from her neck down. And I think if anyone ever had a situation laid upon them where they could say, you know, this is the cross I have to bear, here it is. But hear what she says. Don't think that the cross is simply the wheelchair or an irritating job or an irksome mother-in-law. The cross is the place where you die to sin and live to God. Hallelujah. Amazing. Ultimately, to bear the cross and follow Jesus is to publicly identify yourself with him and to die to sin and self and to live for God, even under the suffering that we face, the shame and the contempt of this fallen, hostile world. You see, this is why the Apostle Paul declared through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The tribulation of cross-bearing, the tribulation of self-denial, and letting your light shine before the world. You see, Paul and every Lamb of God can do this because of the mystery of superabounding grace experienced. The riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That experience, grace, is why Paul could declare, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how can anybody say that, believe that, and live that? It's a miracle. It's a hallelujah miracle. It's by the same divine power that raised Jesus from the grave. The one who bore the cross of our sin and shame eternally as the God-man in the mystery of redemption. Jesus wants us to recognize that this call to count the cost is not merely a one-time deal. It's a moment-by-moment daily surrender well 
in confronting the masses, the crowds, Jesus called them, and he uses these two analogies to drive home the point of building a tower and a king going to war to illustrate the importance of careful consideration before making a commitment to discipleship. Do you have what it takes to make it all the way home? Well, you know, many of us have lived here for quite some time. I know a lot of you here at Carriage Lane have been here for 15, 20, 25 years. And, and you lived through the great financial crisis that led to the great real estate crash right here in Fayette County. And in the middle of that, great trials and great hardships, I lived next to a huge subdivision that was never finished until just a couple years ago. It sat incomplete for years and years and years. They had gone and done all this labor to clear the land and put in the streets and the cul-de-sacs and the, the sewers. And they built a great big clubhouse and they, they built all manner of things, a pool. But they didn't count the cost. They didn't have what it took to make it all the way. They were leveraged to the hilt. The debt was unmanageable. The money dried up. Bankruptcy. And it was a great embarrassment for this big, powerful, wealthy builder when he couldn't complete on his promises to people. Well, Jesus is saying, count the cost to follow me. Do you have what it takes to make it? He's confronting those in this mass of people who are cavalier in their approach to Christ and discipleship. You know, brothers and sisters, we are so far removed from crucifixion. We're so far removed from the horror that crucifixion was, this execution by crucifixion on the cross. But you see, the sign of the cross in first century was a sign of humiliating torture and death, and it struck fear in the hearts of the conquered. And it's really a picture of everything that's wrong with planet Earth. Evil. Hatred, murder, wars, sin, rebellion, corruption, death. That's what the cross symbolizes. You see, as Jesus calls us to count the cost, don't you know that Jesus counted the cost too? He counted the cost of what it would mean to come forth. As the Father called to the Son in eternity past, go forth and redeem the people that I'm giving you. Don't you know that Jesus counted the cost of what that would mean? To enter into this world, this broken world dominated by hatred and sin and brokenness and evil. To come forth to a rebellious people, even his own people who knew him not and rejected him. To love all the way to the cross. Even as he hung on the cross, he was hated. Even as he paid our sin debt, we hated him in our hearts. He counted the cost to give us peace and redemption. And you see, when we consider the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out upon us individually, marking us, buying us, redeeming us, it should fill our hearts with awe and wonder, shouldn't it? For the love of his bride, he looked past the shame and the pain of the cross to have us 
What manner of love, what joy to redeem us. Think about it. For us to truly count the cost of following Christ, we must set our minds and our hearts on the cost he paid for us that we might know life and peace in him. He deserves our hearts. He deserves our voices, our worship, our will, our obedience, our devotion. You know, we can only follow him by God's sovereign, amazing grace. Overcoming our hearts and our hardness and filling us up, giving us repentance and faith and life in him. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not lived by trying, but by relying on Christ alone. And that brings us to our final thought this morning. Jesus declares the consequence of being true disciples or being false disciples. Right here at the end of the chapter, these two verses, 34, 35, salt is good, but if it's lost its saltiness, its taste, how shall it be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is declaring the consequence or the result of either being a true disciple or a false disciple. And he states it very clearly, very quickly, salt is good. Yes, it is. Amen. Salt is good. And by God's grace in Christ working through us, we become salty. And a true disciple, a true follower, a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes salty unto shaloming. So that we're about the business of Salt in our relationships, seasoning those relationships that we have, where we live, where we work, where we play. We improve them. We bless them. We speak words of peace, gospel words. We must carefully highlight the reality of who Jesus is directing this warning to, though. It's not to the sincere, true believer that's struggling daily with his or her sin and seeking Christ over and over and the joys of what it means to live a life of faith and repentance. He is unmasking the false disciples. If you're not an object of his grace, living out of the power of his love so that he's preeminent over your life, the preeminent love of your life, that you're willing to bear his name, that you're willing to bear the cost of discipleship and sacrifice, then you're just faking it. You claim to be a Christian and you're not filled with the grace of Almighty God and you just want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. Well, Jesus, he's been very clear. If you're a fake disciple, you're like salt that isn't salty. What good is it? It doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have a power. It doesn't have a use. Imagine just sitting in front of a big old plate of scrambled eggs. And there's the salt shaker right there with the, the grains. You see it. You grab it. You shake, shake, shake. You start to eat. No seasoning. No preserving. No improving of the eggs. What good is it? Would you leave that on the table just to fake people out? No. Well, there's a warning here. Friends, who are we in this? 
Are we true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, salty, shaloming the world? Or are we fake, without blessing, without the ability to bless? Well, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we need to take it to heart and prayerfully consider this so that we might rightly apply this word as we move on to the glories of Luke 15. To rightly apply it, brothers and sisters, it's essential that we keep our eyes on Jesus, on his beautiful heart of love for us, day by day, hearing his word, even his hard word, beholding the love of God personified. Keep our eyes on Jesus, never leave his feet. And as we have that, brothers and sisters, we can embrace the cross we can embrace what it means to deny self and to take up the cross and to follow Jesus. And as we do that, it is essential that we reevaluate our priorities and our commitments all the time. What's your priority? What's your commitment for the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, a real easy test to, to evaluate that is just to look at your checkbook and to look at your calendar. If you are not sacrificially giving tithes and offerings to the Lord Christ and his church and his work and his kingdom, you need to reevaluate your commitment to Christ. And if you are not using your spiritual gifts and your time to give to the Lord Christ and his church and his work, you need to reevaluate your commitment to Christ. It's pretty easy. Brothers and sisters, it is essential that we maintain our saltiness. And we do that through the glorious gift and uses of the means of grace, God's word and prayer and worship and fellowship, the Lord's day in small groups, time together, time alone in prayer, prayer, prayer. As we get saltier and saltier, we will grow in our joy to share Christ. It's a privilege. It's a joy. It's part of the life of walking with Christ and the life of tears and joy as we share and anguish over those that we want to know the Lord. We want them to know we share. And to do that well, brothers and sisters, we need to be authentic with our faith before the watching world. We don't have it all together. We're messed up. We struggle with brokenness, but we know where to go, Jesus. And we know that our Heavenly Father always has his eye of love and joy upon us. So we can be honest and open about our faith as we carry the cross. Well, the cross of true discipleship is laid upon every Christian. It begins with the call of Christ, the call of joy to come to the Savior, come to the feast, and in heeding that call, we hold all things loosely, except for Jesus. We hang on. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we thank you for your loving kindness. For without it, how could we bear up under such a hard word? But Holy Spirit, you minister to our hearts and you bring forth the joys of God's promises to us in Christ as well as the conviction as your people to follow hard after Jesus 
and faith and repentance and new obedience day by day. Oh, Lord Almighty, King Jesus, we pray that you would intercede for us, that you would ask the Father to send forth more of the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit, that we might run the race of discipleship with great love and joy. Oh, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. May we meditate upon that today and see you as supreme over all of life, over all relationships, the one who is worthy of our all in all. We ask finally that you would expand our heart's capacity to love you, that we might love others. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.